Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. kicking off this series by the book. So many of you know that this year, you know our vision, if you don't, our vision is changing lives to change our world. This year, um, we're focusing on changed lives, change lives. Because when your life is changed, it transforms those around you. And through an invitation, a conversation, uh, a testimony of what the Lord's doing in your life, things shift and things change. So Anyway, that's kind of what we're focusing on. Thank you, Patrick. I'm, I'm going to be uh, leaning into this whole teaching of, uh, of discipleship. We, we know that this year specifically, what you're going to hear throughout the year on Sundays and some Wednesdays as well, is an emphasis and a teaching on discipleship. Now, this message today is going to be a foundational, it's going to be a message that lays the foundation for the next few weeks. Uh, and for those of you that, uh, if you're an analytical thinker, this is going to be right down your alley. And uh, as there, there's, there's those of us that, uh, there was a, a leadership book I read some time ago and it broke the church into three different groups. You have your thinkers, your lovers, and your doers. Uh, your lovers are the ones that, that typically, they worship long time, they enjoy, they're extravagant in worship. And then you've got your thinkers, which are your analytical type uh, that, 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 that sit um, linear. They think A, B, C, D. And so, and then you've got your doers, and that's the ones that are typically your strong leadership people that they, they love to see the leadership aspect talk throughout Scripture. Um, and so, it's broken into three categories, but if you are a thinker today, this is going to be right down your alley. It, I'm going to tell you, this is going to be a lot of information, but here's what we are wanting to do as a ministry is... That as a disciple, do you understand what a disciple? I don't think that we truly understand what a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is those that are committed to a process. It's not a one-time thing. You don't arrive in a moment, but it's a lifestyle. It is a continual, ongoing process where I am a disciplined learner. I'm learning. You're a learn-it-all. You're not a know-it-all, all right? The problem with... Probably the, the main problem with the West is that we get so frustrated and, and upset because when we read something in Scripture that we don't understand, we close the book altogether. In Hebrew, the, the Hebrew people, whenever they study, a Jewish rabbi, when they study the Scripture and they don't have, uh, that they, they have the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Law and Prophets, they, but when they study something and there's something that they don't fully understand, that they get excited because they understand there's coming a moment where God's going to reveal to them. So they're patient. But for us, we get upset. Oh, that's whatever. You know, King Jimmy just lied to me. I don't understand what this even means, right? So, but that's not the way that we are to approach the Bible. God is not a, a give-it-to-me-quick type of God. Sometimes he may move quickly, but the most, most of the time that I've experienced is he loves to watch me walk through the process. And I get upset about it, but he does. Because he's, he's not, he knows the end. 
He's committed to the process happening inside of you. Could you bring this mic down? It's popping and stuff. We have that tendency with these mics for some reason. Anyway, so this morning, I want to actually take it a step further and say that not just by the book, because this is a series, but why should I believe? Why should I believe? Why should I believe in God? Why should I believe in the Bible as the sole authority? Because right now we're in pop culture. Everybody says, well, this is my truth. My truth says this. Your truth says that. We can have different truths. No, we can't. Let me help you. you we can't. There's only one. If, this, if it's in here and it says it's wrong, then it's wrong. Right? You know, sin is sin. It doesn't matter. It's sin. we got to stop doing it. Um, or there's some things that we, must, we need to start doing. Um, if... Let me say this, and this, some of you may be here today, maybe, as a, maybe you, you don't believe in God. And you say, the queer question in your mind is, is there a God? And if there is, how am I going to apply His Word to my life? So I, I want to talk to you specifically as well. So again, this is going to be a, a, a pretty in-depth, so get ready. Get your thinking cap on and get ready to grow. Um, Genesis 1.1, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, it'll be on the side screens as well. <clears throat> We are, most of us, we're in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, by the way. Okay, I guess you didn't know that. So you would assume that everybody has heard of Jesus. Everyone has heard of the scriptures. Everyone has heard of this, but that's not so. Um, there are many people that you would be surprised, and I have, I've encountered people that, do, that don't know anything. They see these buildings that are called churches, but they have no clue what they're about. I mean, we've had people that's asked questions, and this is not, this is, they, you just don't know what you don't know. Like on a scripture, like what's the colon between the numbers? You know, and it's like, well, that's just, shows you chapter and verse. There's people, they just don't know, and you don't know what you don't know. So it's okay to ask questions. We don't want to look down on you in that way. Um, but in Genesis 1-1, this is the very beginning. Genesis being the very beginning of the very beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, uh, the earth. And so we understand just from this, this conversation that, or this, this scripture that the scripture does not attempt to prove the existence of God. It simply asserts, it assumes and declares that the knowledge of God is universal Whenever the authors, or excuse me, one of the writers of Scripture begin to pen, as Moses, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. When he began to pen this, he didn't write this thinking of someone in the West, in America, that was going to be teetering with, is God real or is he not real? Is he the only God or is there multiple gods? Right? He, he, he wasn't teetering on this thought. He wrote it with, he is. And so when you read Scripture, you have to understand. They're not trying to prove to you that God is is real. They're writing out of personal accounts. They're writing from a place of of a knowledge already. And understand that Scripture, the 66 books of closed canon of what we call the the Holy Bible, the 66 books that there is no more written Scriptures, all right? Now, God still speaks, but the the closed canon of 66 books, it's closed. There's no more, well, we're writing a new book. No, you're not. If it's not there, then we don't believe it. We're not adding to and we're not taking away from it. So they write from the understanding of this is my personal account. But they're writers, but there's only one author. So you have multiple writers, but you've got one author, and it's the Holy Spirit. He is divinely breathing upon every one of the writers throughout. And so they write as moved upon by the Holy Spirit. We'll, lose that, or we'll, we'll uh, learn that as we move forward. So and even at some point, I would think that the atheists and the agnostic have to look around and say, you know, 
I, I, I may not say that Jesus is God, but I'll tell you that there is one. Some higher form of higher power. If, if you really back them into a corner, maybe you're there this morning. You have to look around and say, this, this, this all didn't just happen. All right? There is a designer to this, and and I and I've I've heard certain one. I heard, it's been a while back. There was a guy that uh, um, doesn't go to church here. It's just a conversation and passion. He said, "I know that you're a pastor." He said, I, "Who's to say that Muhammad, or who's to say that Allah is not the one God, or who's to say that maybe Buddha is?" A God that and, and that leads us. There, there's many roads that could lead ultimately to heaven and to God. And I told him, I said, I hear what you say, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Um, if that's the case, and I said, do you believe in Jesus? He said, well, I, I believe that he existed. I believe the historical accounts. This guy was pretty intelligent. He said, I believe he existed. I said, well, let, let, me, let me tell you from my personal experience. I wasn't trying to convince him of anything, and he believed in the crucifixion. I said, if... God the Father made Jesus die the death he did, he did, I said, then he owes him an apology if he is one way to get to heaven. I said, because the death that he died, once and for all, he paid for every sin, past, present, and future. And I said, he owes him an apology. Because the death he died was gruesome, it was nasty, it was violent, it was bloody, it was horrific. Jesus didn't have a loincloth, he was naked. So that means he hung naked on a cross between heaven and earth with his arms stretched out wide and bones showing all over his back, his ribs showing. And, and just, I mean, it, it, was, it was a gruesome, excruciating death that the Romans were very, very good at beating you within a centimeter of your life and leaving you just so that you would suffer. They, he owes him an, a, an apology. So we had that conversation, and he didn't have anything. To, I wasn't trying to stump him. I just said, that's, and we don't have to give an account. Uh, I, I, I have to give an account with what I've done with Jesus, and that's what I told I said, you've got to give an account with Jesus. Because when you stand before God, that's what you're going to have to give an account. What did you do with Jesus? Did you believe? Did you follow? Did you do what he asked you to do? So understand that in all of this, and as we study Scripture, this is, is from front to back, it is, it is Christocentric. That means it's Christ-centered. Every book, you can find Jesus in it. Every book, from front to back, because it's all about Him. But it's not only just about Him, it's about redemption. So it's about redeeming you back. God is invisible. We know that. We don't, we don't actually see the form of, of God. He's incorporeal. Um, he's without parts, without body. And therefore, He's free from all limitations. Um, we, well, what about the right hand of God? People say, well, what is the right hand of God? That is the power of God. That's what it speaks to. Well, the face of God. What is the face? That's his presence. That's Old Testament. That's words that are interchangeable. The mouth of God that denotes intimacy. God spoke with Moses mouth to mouth as a man would speak with his, with his friend. He, it was a nearness, a relationship. It was a, a, a close-knit uh, time that Moses had with the Lord. Romans, if you, if you know anything about Paul, I'm going to tell you something. You need to study the life of Paul. Now, you can't find all of it in Scripture, but when you study historians and they talk about Paul, the Apostle Paul was a very, very intelligent man. He was sharp. I mean, he knew the law front to back. Very sharp. He studied under Gamaliel, which was one of the greatest minds of that day. And uh, he wrote in Romans, because he desired to visit Rome, he wrote in, in the book of Romans one twenty. he says, For since the creation of the world, listen now, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So if you don't believe in what a preacher tells you, simply look around the world and see. Look at everything that's made. Look at uh, even uh, people themselves. God has created us. You weren't a mistake. God destined you to be in the time and in the season that you're in. You're not a mistake. All right? You wasn't a, a happenstance or a surprise in that regard. You, God destined you. He destined you to be in this time and this season. Um, by definition, an infinite Eternal being has always existed. Now, that's hard to comprehend. We think about that. Um, but, but it's God has always existed. He's never not existed. All right? He's always been. Well, that blows my mind. Of course, that's what it blows my mind. Now worship is taking place. Now the fear of the Lord is happening. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's an awe. You're not supposed to lose that awe, reverence, and respect of God's nature and who God is. You're ne- Let me say this. This is actually the punchline at the front and at the end. You're a finite human being. You will not fully comprehend ever, ever an infinite God. God is multifaceted. He knows every spirit and all spirits. He knows every person and all persons. He knows your thoughts from beginning to end, what you're going to think tomorrow. He knows what you're going to eat next week. He knows everything about you. So know that. If you see a rock, what do you simply think of? Nature. If you see a watch, you think of a watchmaker. There is a designer to everything that we see with our eyes. So why would it be any different? God created human beings with giftings and talents and abilities to create. Now people say, well, I just don't believe God created. I don't believe you can create anything. It's a gift God gives you to create. You procre- I mean, you, you, you have a, a spouse or a husband or a wife, and you have children. He designed, or he, he designed that. God created you simply by saying, let there be, and let us make man in our image. And he told him, he said, uh, Adam and Eve, you have children that have children that have children that have children. My goal is to expand this thing out of the garden into the rest of the world so that the whole world will be under my rule through you. God's not ruling the world. He rules it through you. The Bible says, let let man have dominion. That was our first charge. Not let us worship. He said, let them have dominion. He gave you authority. He gave you dominion. But he wanted to rule the earth through you and not for you. All right, I'll move on. So there, there's a few things here. The first thing about God, let's talk about his nature. He's omniscient. Now, I'm telling you, you've got to hang with me. It just, it's going to be a lot of information. But for those of you that study scripture, this will help you. Psalm 139, bless God, this is one of my favorites. Uh, he's omniscient. That means that omni means all. Nishit means that he knows all. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. He's, uh, there's nothing. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to do. So that's omniscient. The second thing is that God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He has all power. People say, well, it's God versus Satan. You ever seen that? Well, be nice. That, that Facebook post where it has God and Satan arm wrestling, that's so funny to me. I don't know. It's just... Anyway, y'all are a tough crowd. I'm just going to tell you. Loosen up a little bit. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no competition between God and the enemy. It's one make that. Satan's a created being. Lucifer that fell, all right? I mean, just a breath of air, and he's done. He's doomed to hell to burn for the rest of eternity when that time comes. And Revelation is a, it is a jigsaw to me. So I read it aloud like it says because there's an anointing and a blessing. And I just... God, teach me what I need to know, all right? So, but there is no competition. God is all-powerful in that. Number three is that God is also omnipresent. Omnipresent, what does that mean? He's everywhere at all times. 
He's everywhere. So when you pray the prayer, God be with us today. Be mindful of this. He can't answer that. All right? God cannot answer that prayer because he's always here. And one of my personal, what I've been praying lately or just declaring, God, you're here and God, you're near. God, you're here and you're near. That's just something flow. So that's how we practice the presence. People say, how, you preached about practice. Well, you practice the presence by becoming aware. All right? We go through our life. We forget, man, you know, that God is everywhere at all times. But I can stop wherever I'm at. I can stop and just say, Father, I'm turning my heart towards you right now. Thank you. And as I begin to cultivate thanksgiving, the atmosphere can shift. I mean that. All right, I'll, I'll move on. Next thing is there's more to moral characteristics of God. All right? Here's one. He's holy. Holy means he's unlike any other. He transcends human logic and thought. He is, he is, he is unrighteous. Uh, he has nothing inside of him that is unrighteous. All right? He's pure. There is no unrighteousness in him. He can't make mistakes. He doesn't, he doesn't sin. He came in the form of, 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 of flesh, Jesus, so that the created could experience their creator. Thomas said, Lord, or Thomas or Philip said, show us the Father. He says, have I not been with you this whole time? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm, I'm releasing him to you. So uh, he, he is holy in the fact that he's never sinned. He's, he's, uh, he is uh, apart and above anything that would be unrighteous or improper. That's why you understand that, that sin can't stand in his presence. It can't stay in his presence. And that's why the blood of Jesus can cleanse you and wash from that. All right. Number two is he's love. All right. We think of this from a perspective of like that may be an attribute that I have that I love at certain times because humanity, we, we're, 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 we're depraved and we're fallen, right? Without Jesus, we have no hope. So God is love. He's always love. It's not an attribute of God. It's who God is. He's constantly love. But he's also, and this is where it starts to go above your mind. All right. So I've seen people, it's like, oh, my goodness. So just, just hit record and let it roll, all right? The next thing is that God is, he, he's grace. What is grace? And he's, give, he's given it to us. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. What you don't deserve is forgiveness and salvation. That's why that, that's said that grace is considered to be scandalous. I know that may mess with some of you, but according to us, well, they need to get what they deserve. No, God gave grace. It's beyond, that's why you're not my judge. Thank the Lord. Because you've been had me in a prison or killed at some point. But God's grace is he, it's just abundant. And we're in the age of grace. There's coming a season when this will end. I'm just going to tell you that. There'll come a season when the blood on the mercy seat will run out. And there will be. And it's, everything's going to shift and change. So you're in a, and it's not greasy grace. We don't do what we want to. Well, I'm just going to get forgiveness of sin. No, no, no. Should we continue in sin that grace would abound? God forbid. No, stop, Right? The next thing about God is he's mercy, the mercy of God. You, 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 you don't get what you do deserve, and that's judgment and punishment. So God gives you mercy. So remember that next time you start casting judgment upon someone, looking at them and, and judging them about a sin that you don't struggle with. All right, I'll leave that alone. Next thing is justice. God is justice. He always gives correct treatment. God always does. He's a God of justice. So this is what the scripture declares about God if we're looking at him from the perspective of human reasoning. So there are many ways to validate the existence of God. Now, for those of you that are struggling, teetering on is God real or is he not? What, what you talk about, is, is it real or is it not real? Give me your mind for a few moments because I want to give you some stuff, hopefully. Um, 
there are many, many ways to validate God's existence. Among those most commonly used, there is a, uh, a theologians and, and, a, and every one of us, let me just say this, everybody in this room is a theologian. You're studying God. Everybody in this room is learning about God. So I don't care who you are, uh, what you do, you ought to be a student of Scripture. We all need to, to grow in this. Um, but there's proof statements is what theologians set out to call this um, for the existence of a supreme being. And so I want to give you a few of these. The first one is this. If you're filling in and look at this, it's causation. Um, one of the basic presuppositions of science, even by itself, is that every effect must have a cause. I said this first service, and I'll do it again because it's uh-uh, this is my, my weakness. And you can tell I'm... You know, never mind. Um, but it's it's the Samoan cookie, all right? As I say Samoan, it's the Samoas, all right? There's just the perfect blend of caramel, chocolate, coconut. All of that is just amazing. Here's the thing. I can put on 10 to 15 pounds in a weekend simply because those come to my house, and I'll, I'll do three lines without even checking up. I mean, it's bad. And then it'll finally hit me. Hey, I got a hey man, I'm telling you, you just shout me down. And I, I know, I know we've got some people that I mean you're all about I, I just can't. I've tried to make that to, to lettuce and oh it's hard. It just don't taste this good. But all jokes aside, I can feast on that, and the effect would be 15 pounds. Now at this point, I can just look at them and gain and gain three pounds. But it's my weakness, all right? So I just confessed in light a little bit. But there's causation. Therefore, for everything in existence, there first has to be a cause, which started everything, all right? Let's look at it from this perspective. The universe had a start. There was a start. And scientists, they, they declared that the universe, it, there was a, you can tell. It hasn't always existed, and we always want to pull from, uh, um, and, and, and books that talks about the Big Bang, and we've heard it said before, and I believe that it did happen like this. They said, well, there was a Big Bang. But my question uh, to, to those that say that something came from nothing. You can't get something from nothing unless, unless there was a supernatural intervention. I mean, I don't see how that happens. So if there was Big Bang, as God said, let there be, and it began to come together. I believe that because he's ultimately the designer. We can look at everything and see that. Why have we not continued to evolve if, if it's all about evolution and we came from an amoeba to a monkey to a this or that or the other? Why have we not continued to evolve? Some people say, well, they still are. I'm just telling you. All right. I know you're getting anyway. So there was, there, there, there was something to this effect of an explosion possibly. But Jesus or God himself spoke everything and let there be light. And guess what? There was. Let there be heavens and, and, and there was. He created this. He is the ultimate creator. So the universe has not always existed. Again, as I said, how can you get something from nothing? You can't. It, it, it's, it's physically impossible to get something from nothing unless, unless God was the designer of all of this. The universe operates by, by, by uniform laws. Look at it. I mean, gravity. You can tell me you don't believe in gravity. That's okay. But when you step off of a, of a hot stage or off a ladder or whatever, the law of gravity is going to tell you otherwise, right? 
It doesn't matter what you say in that. You can say that, well, I don't believe that there's a 24-hour day. We know this is overt and it's crazy, but you say, well, I believe that there was 56 hours in this day and there was 32 in this one. No, that's just ridiculous. That's absurd to even think so. There's always been a 24-hour day. That's the way God designed it. There's a design here. Um, the speed of light. It's a, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That's just the law. Scientists agree that's how it works. Uh, the laws of nature, they don't change. Even the laws of God. Let's look at that for a moment. There's laws of God. I mean, you can't go out and commit adultery. You can't go out and kill and think that you're not going to suffer a consequence or effect from that, right? Uh, even the Sabbath. Oh, hold up now. Like if, you, if you violate the Sabbath and you don't take days off, listen. The Sabbath is not necessarily just a day of the not not just a Sunday of the week. The Sabbath is when you shut down for a 24-hour period and you cease from your working and you rest. You rest not from the week but for the next week. That's why Chick-fil-A is so successful. They understand this. So whatever day you pick, do it. Because here's the thing: you can't break God's commands, you break yourself on them. So the laws of nature, you can't break the laws of nature, you break yourself on them. You jump off a building, what's you you broke yourself. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty, come on people, right? You're going to break yourself. So there's laws that's been set up. And so God has got laws and commandments and things that we can't break. We're not intended to break. The second thing, so that's causation. If that wasn't enough, there's a design to this. Something that operates in such precise fashion as the universe and as we understand could not have been an accident. I think we all have to agree on that, maybe, I hope. The complexity, look at the complexity of earth. I mean, just for a moment, this is not, this is all pointing to scripture because science, I believe it all uh, connects. The complexity of our planet points to a deliberate design. Earth's sight, by the way, the earth isn't flat. Just got to say that. Earth's sight for perfect atmosphere, or for, for the atmosphere is perfect for life. If we were, a mile closer to the sun would be consumed. If we were a mile away from the sun, we'd freeze to death. I mean, this is, what, this, this is all through science. Um, if there was no oxygen on this planet, there would be no life. Distance, like I said, is, we're, we're exactly as far away as we need to be uh, for life. Earth is located exactly in the right place. It's perfectly placed where it needs to be. Bible says in Job that... that um, God sits enthroned upon the circle of the earth. He observes it. He sees it. He created it. So we see that the moon is exactly phased and placed perfectly. So for the ocean tide, for those of you that are beach bums, I haven't figured out the tide yet, but I do enjoy the beach. I'll just tell you, great therapy. The water that he placed upon the planet, it's, it's colorless, it's odorless, without taste, but yet no living thing can do without it. You can go without food for a period of time, but you cannot go without water for more than three days. You have to have it. God has created us for that, right? So that's, that's, that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. There's a moral aspect to this. There's a moral compass put into every human being that you know now, regardless of how that gets skewed and perverted as you grow, because the devil can't create anything. All that he can do is pervert. Hear me on that. He mimics God, takes what he has and perverts and twists, all right? So he'll make things immoral, like, uh, and, and, and for human, human beings, it's for us to protect the sanctity of life from the womb to the end of their life. It's not just in the womb, Christians. It's from here all the way to the end of life, right? 
So we believe in that. We want to protect that. We believe in, in that whole aspect of that. But moral is the knowledge of right seems to be universal, although its definition may vary by culture. Um, every man in, and woman in society has a system of morals. It's an interesting, don't do this. I have to say this as a disclaimer that it wouldn't be edited out. But if you go kill somebody, there's a consequence of that. Or there should be, right? There, there should be a consequence. And you know it's not right. Well, I did it. I feel like you want to just, no, no, no. That, that you kill someone and I, I'm not getting into that. I'll leave that alone. So there's a set of morals that all of us have, like a moral compass on the inside of every human being. I think about my children. Now, Elijah, I'm telling you, and people may think this is different, but if he does something wrong, I know it. He'll come up and he's in his mom's ear. I'm like, what have you done? Because he's, he's telling off on himself. Because it's something inside of him that's like, I just can't. He does. Now, Emerson, if she's done something, we know she has because you can't find her. She's hiding somewhere. Or she's putting, she's blaming it on Elijah. Well, he did, you know, my bubba is what she says. And so, even as kids, they know. Some of you, you know better. Stop. There's a moral compass in all of us. And I, I love to hear Pastor Eddie tell this. And he, he tells this story about whenever uh, Sister Francis and, and I call him Sister Francis and brother couples, elder brother couples, uh, they were uh, serving in missions overseas in Africa. And he says that when his, when his father, when they first came to Liberia, he said that in those, those villages that are completely remote and away from, like you have to take a, a puddle jumper plane to get to where they're at. And where they were staying, he said, my father was the first white man that a lot of these tribes had ever seen before. And he would go share the gospel with them. And they would, I mean, he had a powerful ministry over there. And what God's done since then is just amazing. But he said, he said that uh, when they would talk with some of these, these leaders and, and the people in the villages, they said, we know there's a good God and we know there's a bad God. Like big G, little G. We know something. because they say, And we try our best to please the bad God because we know the good God won't hurt. We know the good God, we feel that he lo- we're not gonna, he's not going to treat us bad. I, I, I think we could stop there and figure that out. But they, they understand because there's a, there's a moral compass even set in them that haven't even heard about Jesus. But they understand that. They know that. So there, there's a little bit of a, of a testi- testament to that. So there is a moral compass and code inside of all of us. The fourth thing is, is, is the biblical declaration that God exists. Since we recognize and accept the authority of the Holy Scriptures as the final authority on all matters of faith and doctrine, we confess the statements of Scripture when it says God is. So when God said, especially in the book of Psalms, this is what I've been talking about lately to a lot of us, because we don't, I can't give you an answer why everything happens the way it does in your life. Because stuff, listen, it, it, life is just going to slug you hard. And I hear Rocky Balboa, and when life hits you hard, I don't know, I can't remember the rest of it, I know it's powerful. But, but when, when you, life is going to come out swinging at you. And we want to shake, no, we got to get up. It's going to rain on the just and the unjust, but we've got a little something more on our side because we've got someone that has created me. He knows me uh, like no one else does, and he wants to see me come out of the place I'm in, but he also wants me to walk through and learn some things, uh, learn how to stand on my own two feet, and it's not always he's having to bail me out of things. Uh, but but there's there's the Bible declares the goodness of God. The Bible declares things about his nature that you have to know. You must know these things. Otherwise, you're going to have a skewed uh, uh, understanding of who God is. So God is whatever it may be. Five, there's a personal experience 
And this is one many of us in this room, if you're saved, you've heard God speak, but you hopefully you've had an encounter. Because God is meant to be encountered. The Bible is meant to be encountered. I um, said this before. I think I've said it three times so it can be my quote now. The Bible is the only book you read where the author shows up and you encounter him. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. What does that mean? A two-edged sword. It's sharp on this side, according to God, that it cuts right down into the quick and separates soul and spirit. So what's you and what's God? And on the other side, it's healing you in the process. That's how God functions. He doesn't want to just cut you to the quick and leave you bleeding. He wants to heal you. He wants you to come out of it. He wants to confront sin and bring you into freedom. All right, move on. So there's a personal experience this. You can have a one-on-one encounter. It's not just emotions. People say, well, I don't want to mess with those. They're, they're just crazy and emotional. Why? I mean, God is, he, he's still, he, we're created in his image. His presence is, is, is overpowering. You couldn't experience the fullness of God in your physical bodies. That's why you got to have a glorified body. So there is a personal encounter that I've got to have with him. Really, really just to think about that in, in regards to your analytical thinking. So let me talk about this for just a few moments. Why believe in the Bible? Why would we believe that this is the final soul authority? Why would we do that? How many of you in this room believe, not just because somebody told you to and you don't want to be left out, but how many of you genuinely believe that this is our soul authority? Raise your hands. You believe that? Okay. See a lot of hands going up. If you don't, hang with me. Here's the thing. There is a historical argument for this. There are people and places of the Bible that show up in history, and, and they're even in, in the past 50 to 60 years, the excavations and all of the archaeologists that have been studying over in the Middle East, um, the <clears throat> people, tr- different tribes and different, uh, different locations and sites of where certain people live, it's all starting to come. They're seeing this. They're discovering these things. I recently read something that talked about the life of Moses. Give me just a minute. I want to tell you this. In the life of Moses... They say that um, he existed, or he was in Saudi Arabia. That's where Mount Sinai was, and they have this site where the mountain of God, and it's, in, it's interesting because that mountain, on the very top of that mountain, guess what color it is? It is it's black from where the presence of God came down. The fire was on the mountain. Run, boys, run, right? There was fire on that mountain when the presence of God came down, and it's, it's black. But there's also these stones that's on top. This guy walked up, and he was holding these stones where it says that he, God himself, stepped down and walked upon the, the, the pillars of sapphire. It's just amazing to see that. But not just that. At the foot of this mountain where they have found Mount Sinai or the mountain of God, there is a... There was a, 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 so to speak, where the golden calf altar was built. There is this place, and they have, you can't get over that. The, 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 the Saudis will shoot you. But there is this, it's gated where they built the golden calf. And so they've got it blocked off. There's also at the foot of the mountain 12 pillars of stone where God told Moses, establish 12 pillars as a remembrance. There are these, uh, it was set up for the sacrifices to walk in and out as they offered sacrifices unto God at the foot at that altar. I'm telling you, like all of this stuff, and there's, there's a lot more stuff there, but you look at this and you're saying, okay, how could this not be? How could this not be? How could God not be real? How could the Bible not necessarily be true and real? Well, I believe it's real, but, uh, you know, whatever. Okay, well, let's look at this. There's an empirical argument. What is that? That's not a theory, but it's experiential knowledge. It's an experience. Many of you have tasted, you've seen, you've been to some of these sites and these places. There's something attached to this. 
Because there's a personal transformation that comes from studying the Bible. Personal transformation. This was meant to change you, not to, give you not, not to just give you head knowledge. It was meant to confront you, convict you, and change you. It's what it's for. There is the <clears throat> logical argument. It's a single coherent theme all throughout Scripture. You know what it is? I said it to you all ago. Redemption. God looks to redeem you back. Every book Jesus is, is, is featured in every book of the Bible that points to him. It's Christocentric. It's pointing to him who was to come. There is the biblical argument that the Bible we, we take and the Bible claims to be God's word. Again, we, we believe it or we don't, but there is an, there's an experience from reading Scripture. Now, Jesus believed that the Bible was first divinely inspired. I told you it's going to be a lot of knowledge for you today, okay? So this is for those of you that, that you, you want to take this home and begin to dive in. This will hopefully open up your time of, of reading. He believed the Bible was divinely inspired. Whenever Satan shows up and starts to tempt Jesus, he didn't say, well, I'm all powerful. I command you to go back to the pit of hell right now. No, he said, it is written. So Jesus knew scriptures testified of him, but he knew there was power through scriptures, but you got to believe, right? There's power and faith to believe. But he, he, he go, there's so many scriptures that testify to that. I'll keep moving. Jesus believed that the Bible was authoritative. The Bible is, is, is authority and power. says this when, when Jesus was teaching, according to the scriptures, it says that the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Not one of the teachers of the law. They've seen them. The next thing is that um, Jesus is talking to them and he, to the, some of the, the Pharisees, and he says, you, you're in error. You don't know the power of the scriptures. So there's authority in that. Um, John 10 gives you some more if you want to take notes on that. John 10, verse 35, he begins to speak as well on that whole aspect. The next thing is that the, Jesus believed that the Bible was historical. He talked about, and in the days of Jonah, so it will be. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights uh, in the earth. So he pulls from history but testifies of himself. In that regard, um, Jesus believed that the Bible was powerful. He said, I, I didn't come to do away with the law. He said, but I come to fulfill every word that's been spoken. He said, I tell you that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Jesus believed that the Bible was about him. You read into scripture, you see that. He tells him, he says, um, you search the scriptures because you believe that in them is eternal life, but these are what testify of me. So Jesus understood scripture was about him. Over 90 times throughout the New Testament and the Gospels, Jesus and his apostles supported their position by saying, it is written. AJ, if you would, it's only through the word of God you can't find this any other way. Only through the word of God that I find that I've fallen short and I've sinned. I can't find it any other way. If there was no, if there was no preacher, no teacher, how would you know you're in sin? You wouldn't. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We, we've heard those scriptures. You would not know that unless you read scripture, unless you hear it taught. Through his word, my life is transformed. Now, let me say this. At some point in your life, everybody in this room, you're going to have, you're going to come, if you haven't already, you'll hear teaching, you'll hear whatever throughout your life. At some point, there has to be, um, there has to be an encounter. There has to be something 
that happens in you that I can't, I can't hype it up enough. I can't, whatever. It has to be because the Spirit of God's working to touch your life. And you can't become cold-hearted. You can't become, as the Old Testament says, stiff-necked or stubborn. You can't value your own opinion above God's Word. You have to yield, surrender, and submit. Because sin will send you to hell. It will. And at some point, you have to understand, as I said previously, you're a finite human being. You're a, it's almost to stop and say, you're a fine human being. But you're a finite human being. That means that God is infinite. We'll never fully comprehend nor know what he thinks at all times. My goal in my life, the more that I study, the more that I read, the more that I understand, oh my Lord, I don't know much as I thought I did, so God, help me. More that's coming out of me is God, teach me, help me, show me, lead me, make me to understand. It's the, there's a Psalm 119, 32 through 38. That'd be a good one to know as the, as the psalmist begins to go into this vein. You will not have a complete understanding of all things. I do want to share this with you, though. In the kingdom of God, we think logically. People, uh, in the kingdom of God, it's you can't think logically according to the world system because it's completely different from, all right? So in the kingdom of God, you have to give up your right to understand. I demand to know. Good, demand all you want. Doesn't mean you're going to get an answer for it. God owes us nothing in that regard. He's looking for the humble, the willing, the surrendered. That's the ones that God teaches his law. His friends he shares his covenant with is what the scripture says. So those that walk daily, you build history with God, prayer, seeking his face. I get it. This is maybe a different message than you're used to. But through that whole process, as I build history with God, He'll release his story through me, but I have to build history with God. This can't be figured out in a moment, America, American church. This is a lifestyle, a lifestyle of a disciplined learner. That's what a disciple is. If you really declare, I'm a disciple of Jesus, then you're reading every day or pursuing it. You're pursuing him every day. You have to give up your right to understand because here's what I, under, for my life, this is word. This is law. This is truth. This is where when I don't feel God, when I don't see God, when I can't experience what the way I think I should experience, I have to trust word. I have to trust it. It is who he says he is. So this builds a quiet trust. And the bold faith that believers stand on, they stand on the shoulders of quiet trust. Bold faith stands on the shoulders of of quiet trust. Hebrews 11, and I'm done with scripture. Hebrews 11:3 says, I want you to look at this scripture. By faith we understand. I could stop right there. You don't understand and get faith, okay? You can't study so to speak and head knowledge and 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 grow in your faith. But by faith simply because I believe God, this is your word. This is who you say you are. Simply by believing, understanding will come. That the worlds were prepared or formed by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. And in verse 6, and without faith, it's impossible. So simply believing, that's what it is. Believing, believing, that's it. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That means that he exists. You have to believe that God exists. 
And he looks to reward those that seek after him. Yes, God carries reward with him. I hope that helps you in that. Won't you, well, I'll tell you what. Bow your heads where you're sitting. We're, we've, we've actually got a baptism here in just a moment. I was going to have you stand, but just bow your heads. I want to pray with you. Someone in this room, if, if I want to give you the opportunity to, to give your life to Christ. You don't have to come to the front. But I want to ask you the question, if you're lost today and you don't know where you're going to spend, spend eternity, that's, that's something you need to know. If you're lost and don't know Jesus right now, you just raise your hand to acknowledge that so that I can pray with you. Or maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord and say, I, I need to give my life back to Jesus, Pastor. Raise your hand. See the hand. Anybody else? Bless you for lifting your hand. So right now, it's as simple as just saying, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for my wrongs. I'm sorry. I am, I'm so sorry. Jesus, you're perfect. You, you're pure. You're holy. You're unlike anything I've ever known. Your spirit, as it's beginning to move and tug at your heart, just welcome the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come live inside of me, Jesus. Teach me how to live. Teach me how to follow you and become a disciple. I love you and I give my all to you today. I thank you for dying for me on a cross and I yield and surrender my life to you from this moment going forward. In the name of Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.